All right. Obviously, I'm super pro this morning. <laughs> I hope I didn't pop anybody's like or blow anybody's eardrums out with the way it transitioned to the the intro there, because it it did mine. Um, sorry about that. This may this may be kind of a chill show this morning because I am pretty groggy and I'm I'm of two minds um, about what to do with the show uh, because I have a stack of of news to present that is. Uh, like you know it's not really an ag- it's kind of an aggregation an aggregation of hunter biden news impeachment news trump cases update and i can totally do that and i think i will i think I'll, that's what we'll do today is we'll go through some of that stuff and just kind of play catch up since i haven't streamed this week on on my own show but fix my camera here my other the other side of my mind is saying to do this dnc hack story and there's a there's some new stuff that came out about the DNC hack that ties into some research I've done and ties into the Durham report. And I'm pretty excited about it, but I'm also so groggy and kind of chill this morning that and I also threw it together last night after soccer practice and stuff and while sitting on the couch with my boys and the dogs. And so I kind of want I kind of, I kind of want to let it bake a little longer and, you know, add, add some icing to it, play with the, play with the way I have it set up. The problem is like, it's, I only have enough time to do one or the other this morning. So it's either do all the catch up stuff, you know, and, um, and just kind of have a a more of a relaxed thing. Or if I do the DNC hack thing, then that's the only thing we're going to do. Um, so I'm, I'm debating it and I see people saying DNC hack. Yeah. Oh man. I'm tempted. I'm really tempted. Uh, the thing is, y'all got to understand, I, I, it, this news just came out the other day, and so I, I haven't spent much time putting together this this little dig on it. So I don't want you to expect too much. I think I could flesh it out a little bit more. Um, But it's pretty interesting. It's got me really excited for Durham because I think some pieces fit a little bit better. Uh, before I get to it... um. Good morning. This is Just Human number 220. I have some housekeeping to do. Man, everybody's saying DNC hack. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll do the DNC hack thing. And then um, if whatever time we have left over, we might just catch up on something. Uh, if we have any time left over. We'll see. All right. We also might rabbit trail with it. I'm not sure. Uh, but I do have some housekeeping things to do uh, that I need to show you guys. One... Where's it at? Man, I am slow this morning. It's almost like I didn't sleep very much. That is the wrong screen. Well, since I already got this screen, that's not, no, that's not what I want. That is not what I want. Come on, Kyle. Why does it have it there? I want this one. Okay. Sorry for those who are on the uh, podcast version that I do through Substack. By the way, if you want to get a podcast version of the show, it's over on Substack. Um, and you can set it up to uh, automatically load this, the podcast version onto your favorite podcast player, Apple, whatever. All right. So I was working on my link tree a little bit because instead of doing the just human uh, coupon codes, whatnot, um, I have partnered with. Benson Honey 
Well, actually, I added some things. All right. So for those of you who are looking to support the show, um, everything I do is free. So therefore, everything I do is user supported and relies on people to um, support the show in, some, in one of these ways. So I added a Ko-Fi link or coffee. So if you would like to buy me a coffee and keep me caffeinated, that is back. So we lost buymeacoffee.com a long time ago. I finally made an account at Ko-Fi. I want to call it Ko-Fi instead of coffee, but I think we're supposed to say, I think it's supposed to be coffee. Anyway, if you'd like to buy me a cup of coffee, there is now a link for that in the link tree and in the description of the video. I've partnered with BensonHoneyFarms.com. As you guys know, I love their honey and put it in my coffee every day. It's delicious. And I put it on other items that honey tastes great on. And my kids love it. Uh, but now we're doing a referral code with or a referral like affiliate link. So if you are interested in some honey or some soap or whatever else from Benson's Honey, then go to my link tree or go to the link in the description of this video and click this link and get whatever you want. And that affiliate link, you don't have to put it in my, you don't have to put in my name as like a coupon or anything. Uh, you just have to click the link and then make your purchase after clicking the link. Finally, I have partnered with bootleg products. So if you need some homemade chili, which he tells me is his number one seller is the chili. And I haven't had any of it. Um, but I like chili and it's getting to be that time of year. So I'm going to have to get some, I have tried several of their sauces and their seasonings. And I love all these products. So if you're interested in seasonings or salsas or sauces or chili, whatever, then bootlegproducts.com, click the link right here in my link tree to do the affiliate link, or it's also in the description on Rumble. Now, the other ways to support me are the merch store and buy me a coffee with Venmo. Um, so anyway, they're all right there on my link tree. But I do want to show you something about Rumble. In fact, I should have kept that open. Because I've been getting a lot of questions about... Um, past couple weeks, every time I upload a live video, there's always comments in chat and under the video asking what time the show starts. So I need to show you guys something here. Um, actually, I'm going to show you several things. So Rumble used to put the start time right here. So like when you uploaded a video on Rumble, um, un other unlike other shows uh, or other platforms, on Rumble, you have to tell them what time you're going live. And then you have to upload a video that's less than like 60 seconds. And then it loops it over and over. You guys have probably noticed that. That's why. Rumble requires that in order for you to have like a slot. It's just the way the platform works. But it used to say right here where it says watching, it used to say stream will be live at such and such time. They've moved that and they moved it over here under the locals button. And which is fine, except for they've kept it tiny. I mean, look how tiny this is right here where it says streaming now. Let me put my screen. This is 100% zoom and that's how it's tiny it's way way too small it's like six font um right here they've moved the time of the like for the scheduled um the time the show is scheduled so before the stream goes live down here it says that it starts at 9 30 a.m on friday and then they added a countdown timer which is cool i like what they did it's just that 
nobody can see it because it's so tiny and they put it over here next to the locals thing, which isn't intuitive. It's not intuitive that the, the time that a video goes live is going to be over here. And anyway, I'm just letting you guys know, cause I get, I get these comments a lot asking when the show goes live, look right here in this area and it'll tell you. Also, I pretty much always go live at 9.30 a.m. if there's a show. Um, somebody did suggest to me that I should put the start time and date in the title of the show. And I think that's a really good suggestion. I just hate to do that because it messes up the URL. On Rumble, whatever the... whatever. Um, Whatever you put in as the show title initially is what the URL becomes. And I like having a clean, tight URL uh, right there instead of it having the entire title of the show in it. So what I'd have to do is make it and then go right back in and edit the title. Um, anyway, I may have to do that. Now, something else. I added Rumble. Rumble has e emotes now. So I did add some emotes for this show, some of the same ones that we used to have on Twitch. So I added those down here. And as I get time to just goof around and do silly stuff, I'll add some more. I'll try to make the Trump one a little better and take the white out uh, of there. And uh, if you guys have suggestions for emotes or if you want to make an emote and like comment it to me, then I'll grab them and uh, convert them to the right file size and put them down there. I don't care. Whatever emotes you guys want, I'll do it. We used to have fun with those on Twitch. So um, I'm, happy, I'm happy to do it. The other thing is I want to tell you guys about an extension that I found over in the... Um, <laughs> this is all super important stuff, but it's right... Oh, you can't see what, what I got here. Let me open... Uh, that's not what I want. Hold up. I found an extension in the Chrome store for um for Rumble that will autofill users' names. So, is this it? Yeah, this is it. I don't know why it looks like this. Is, okay, hold up. It's chat plus for rumble and it'll make it when you want to reply to somebody in the chat. Um, it'll autofill the, uh, the name you're trying to find. So yeah, anyway, you can look it up on the, on the store. I'll show you what it looks like in here. Let me move my, oh, my, my head is still in the way right here. Here, let me turn my video off. Obviously, this is super important stuff. So down here, if you hit et, boom, it brings up a list of everybody in chat to make it that much easier to reply to people, which helps so much with communicating in chat. So free extension. And if you guys are, I see y'all are regulars in this chat and you're regulars in Badlands chat. So you're going to want to add this. And Rumble just opened up their API. Um, so there, we should be getting more like people should be making more and more uh, extensions and various things to put on top of Rumble that you can use. So good morning, everybody. And yeah, there we go. 
Very important stuff that I need to tell you guys about. All right, I see y'all telling me that Diane Feinstein has passed away. That is very sad, and it's also very cruel that they made her work literally until her dying day. They made her work in the Senate and paraded her around when she wasn't, she hasn't been functioning well in the Senate for years. I seem to remember a story from like 2020, I think, that it was an open secret in the Senate that Dianne Feinstein was not capable of functioning and they, and that it was her staff who handled everything for her. So, yeah, it's sad. Well, okay, I feel you, Mer good, good morning, Mermaid. I feel you on that, that she was a terrible person. I totally agree, but it's still... It's still it's still cruel to see elder abuse. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, elder abuse. So um all right, y'all voted for DNC hack news. So we'll do that and we'll just see where it goes. Um I'm sure it'll be worth it. I just feel like I could do a better job with it. What I put together, I feel like I could have if I took the weekend, I could put something to bed. I could, I could make it better, but we'll see, we'll see where this goes. And probably the rest of the stuff I would talk about, y'all have heard from somebody else. DZ Dork, I don't know if you can add extensions on, on iPhone. I haven't seen any, but there might be. Um, I guess you're watching through Safari. Is how you're doing it instead of the Rumble app. Um, these these extensions are for um brave is what i what I, the browser i tend to use bear bl thank you very much for the very generous rant um the puppies are pretty good and also <laughs> uh, <laughs> i told i told my telegram chat that these these dogs who have roamed the Caswell County mildly forested wilderness for all of 15 weeks of their life before coming home to us are somewhat unruly. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. Um, but we are seeing progress. We, we are seeing progress with them. Um, and the trainer comes on Monday. So I'm looking forward to working with them with the trainer and uh, domesticating them because they're a little bit undomesticated. <laughs> so um, RL Skeeter, thank you very much for the rant. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do the DNC hack and Brogent, Good to see you. Good morning. Says, I wonder if you were able to put together all the recent dog comms, the dog number, the context. Oh, all, Oh, with a uh, commander and thanks. Thanks Brogent. Um, yeah, do Joe Biden's dog. No, I haven't put, I haven't dug into any dog comms with it, but um, I think it's hilarious. What I did say about it is that I think we live in a simulation and um, all these stories of Joe Biden's dog biting people has got to be some sort of like inside joke or some sort of metaphor or something that the programmer of this simulation is 
trying to communicate to us. Like maybe if we played this game long enough, we lived this simulation long enough, we could figure out the meta, uh, the meta joke that is being made with the dog of the president's dog biting people. I don't know. It's so, it's so bizarre. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I've seen other people that kind of dug on some, on it a little bit and thinks there might be some message there, but I haven't put any effort into that. I have to admit. Okay. And I see people are really angry at Diane Feinstein. I get it guys. I get it. I'm more angry at the people behind her. Cause they're, they're the ones. Oh yeah. I need to put my video back. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for reminding me, <laughs> KB94. Okay. Uh, no, that's not what I wanted to. Oh my gosh. I am bad this morning. There we go. Okay. Secret service agents are tasty. And good morning to everybody on Pilled. Before I get into this hack stuff, good morning to everybody on Pilled. Good to see you. I see um, they, Pilled, the, the folks over there on Pilled agree. It's elder abuse. She's evil. And let's do the DNC hack story. Um, Filter Dog, thank you for the shade. Says Kamala to Senate, Newsom to VP, then FJB steps down. I think they'd do it if they could. I do. I think they would do it if they could, but I don't think they can. So, um, but boy, that would be fun. It'd be fun to watch them try and do that. I wouldn't complain about that. Oh man, I almost hope that happens. But it won't. It won't. And the impeachment won't work. He's not going to get impeached. And that's going to be a huge devolution proof. And, um, but the impeachment's going to be worthwhile. I don't mean to uh, give anybody the impression I think it's it's uh, meaningless or a few a futile effort. It's futile in that he won't be impeached. But I do think it's a it's a worthwhile endeavor, very much so. But I agree, Filter Dog. That's what they would do if they could. I just don't think they can. All right. Let's get into this. So DNC hack story. There's been a development in the DNC hack story and the development is because of who else? Chuck Grassley, uh, Chuck Grassley getting his stack of document documents, him and Johnson. I've been talking about how they've, they built up this stack about the Hunter Biden crime family over the years. They just keep adding more and more documents and introducing things occasionally in the Senate. And, um, I love they it's it's sometimes it's kind of it's quiet work, but it's it's really good stuff. And Grassley got a letter that detail gave some news um or another clue into the DNC hack. And um Undead FOIA, um one of the uh one of the internet sleuths, um spygate sleuths that's out there, Matt Taibbi and Daniel Medina have worked together over at Racket News to uh, 
to do to put this story together. Earl Skeeter, I don't know about the Hobbs story. I didn't care about like Hobbs wasn't governor for like Hobbs stepped down as governor temporarily for like 12 hours or something like. I just I I just didn't care about it. Um, if there's if it's more than that, I might look into it. But I think it, I think people got a lot of I think <laughs> I think a lot of people got excited about a nothing burger. Honestly, uh, I could be wrong though. So anyway, these guys put together a uh, they grab this news and they put together this timeline, which is really interesting. And if you guys will stick with me, I'm going to go through a series of documents. We're going to go back in time. Uh, my ID, my idea here is to look at this timeline and this new information, and then we're going to go back in time and look at the story of the DNC hack and like some of the, the milestones in it. And then we're going to come back around. We'll touch on, uh, we'll touch on a little bit of my work and then we're going to come back around to here in the Durham report. So This right here is uh, from Racket News over on Substack, which is Matt Taibbi, um, his outfit. Uh, timeline DARPA and the DNC hack. Upon whose analysis, this is the question, upon whose analysis did the government rely when it blamed Russia for hacks of Democratic Party emails? They have a timeline here, which after I read this, I'll, I'll go through. The story just published today on Racket uh, titled Forget Collusion, Was Interference Also Fake News, adds new information to the public's understanding of Russiagate. Because the significance of certain documents is tied to dates, and many details have begun to fade from public memory, artist Daniel Medina put together a visual timeline to explain the overall chronology. This first panel above is comprised of news already known to the public, but there are a few items of note. For one, the DNC reported detection of, quote, unusual activity on April 30th of 2016, but didn't commence a remediation event until over five weeks later on June 10th. There's also a quirk in connection to the June 14th announcement by Democrats and their researchers that Russians had not only, quote, penetrated the computer network of the Democratic National Committee, but, quote, gained access to the entire database of the opposition research on GOP presidential candidate Donald Trump. The Washington Post used the term stole. Much later, CrowdStrike President Sean Henry testified to Congress about DNC emails that the company lacked, quote, evidence that they were actually exfiltrated. There's circumstantial evidence, but no evidence that they were actually exfiltrated, end quote. Despite Henry testifying that, quote, we just don't have the evidence that says it actually left, the DNC made its big, quote, the Russians took our data announcement on June 14th. This was a day before the Guccifer 2.0 persona began publishing leaked material, including Trump opposition research. If they didn't have evidence anything was, quote, actually exfiltrated, what exactly was the basis for that post story? The next panel shows here, actually, before I do that, let's look at the first panel and let me see if this will. Excellent. Excellent. That's perfect. So we have April 11th, 2016. On behalf of the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign, the law firm Perkins Coie engages the opposition research outfit Fusion GPS. It was April 11th, 2016. They hired him. 
April 22nd, 2016. The Democratic National Committee is also breached by hackers. Actually, sorry, I skipped one. So April 11th, Fusion GPS, Perkins Coie, Hillary Clinton campaign, link up. April 14th, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the DCCC, is reportedly hacked. April 22nd, 2016, the Democratic National Committee is also breached by hackers. April 28th, 2016, IT contractors working for the DNC discover, quote, unusual activity on their servers. Yes, Rogue 12, shout out to the Clinton Foundation. April 30th, 2016, outside contractor CrowdStrike is engaged to investigate, quote, unusual activity in the DNC. The company co-founder Dmitry Alperovich, Alperovich later claims that, quote, almost immediately after hire, CrowdStrike detection systems started lighting up with indications of, of intrusion. So that's all within 19 days. May 25th, 2016. Based on dates of emails ultimately released by WikiLeaks, exfiltration of Democratic Party emails begins. June 10th to June 13th of 2016, CrowdStrike, CrowdStrike starts quote, quote, what we call the remediation event, i.e. they take steps to remove hostile actors from DNC servers more than a month after both initial breach and exfiltration of emails. DNC publicly claims it's been hacked by Russia on June 14th, 2016. And just real quick, a couple times on this show, I've said that um, the Russians did hack the DNC, but they were like in there observing the traffic, observing the servers. And nobody, and like, that's what I'm talking about is that CrowdStrike says they discovered them there back in April, but they didn't remove them until June. And I always found that odd. And then you have the testimony that from uh, CrowdStrike, from Sean Henry, that they were never, there's no data showing they were exfiltrated. And then we have the whole Seth Rich thing over here on the side. And I've, and I've long said that I think that both of them are true. I think the DNC hack story I think there's an element of truth to it, but then I also think the Seth Rich story, there's an element of truth to it. And then people get them crossed up and think they're mutually exclusive and they're not, they're not mutually exclusive, but I'm very much prepared to be wrong about that. Um, I just think that both can be true at the same time. And Seth Rich is the inconvenience that messed up what they were, what they were trying to do. They, they, and I've also said, along with this, which is maybe what I should lead with, they wanted to be hacked. The DNC wanted the hack to happen so they could blame the Russians for it and say the Russians were trying to help Trump. It's all part of the, the scheme to frame Trump for election interference and connect him to Russia to, one, try and make him lose the election against Hillary, two, cast the Russians as bad guys, three, cast the, the Republican Party as assets of the Russians and compromised by Russian intelligence, et cetera. Um, when really it was the DNC, it was Democrats and FBI who had Russian uh, collusion working with, they were, they're the real Russian people who did Russia collusion. Um, and then also just in case Trump did get in, it would drive after he did win, 
they kept the Russia Gate story alive partly because they needed to drive a wedge between Trump and Russia and make sure they didn't work together to put to, to, to figure out just exactly what these people had done and find the real collusion, right? So they accused Trump of collusion when it was really them. If that all makes sense to you guys, hopefully it does. All right. So the next one. June 14th through 15th, roughly, quote, when the news broke in June 2016 that the DNC servers had been hacked, according to the New York Times, Georgia Tech University researchers David Dagon and Manos Antonakakis, employed in a research project funded by the Pentagon's Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, began an investigation in parallel at the behest of Rodney Joffe of Newstar. Joffe had a connection with Perkins Coie lawyer Michael Sussman, using data sets intended to be analyzed for DARPA. They, they look for electronic evidence of Russian connections to Donald Trump. You guys remember this. If you've been with me for a while, we've talked about all of those characters many times. August 7th, 2016. Dagon and Antonakakis deliver a report to DARPA titled, quote, Fancy Bear slash APT28 Attribution Analysis. This is not disclosed to the public and only comes out in response to a senator's letter over six years later. August 20th, 2016. Joffe writes to the researchers, quote, being able to provide evidence of anything that shows an attempt to behave badly in relation to this, the VIPs would be happy. I believe that's from an email that Durham got. If I remember correctly, I believe the reason we have that is Durham. August 22nd, 2016, the researchers having keyed in or keyed on a theory of Russia's Alpha Bank being connected to Trump expressed concern to Joffe that they don't have good evidence. Antonakakis writes, quote, how do we plan to defend against the criticism that this is not spoofed traffic we are observing? There is no answer to that adding the only thing that drives us at this point is that we just do not like Trump. This will not fly in the eyes of, of public scrutiny. I'm afraid we have tunnel vision. Yep. This right here is from Durham too. He got those messages in the Sussman case. August 30th to September, 2016. Despite the researchers concerns, Perkins Coie lawyer Sussman pitches Alf pitches reporters, the Trump alpha story. That's also from Durham. September 9th, 19th, 2016. Sussman meets with FBI General Counsel Jim Baker to present a white paper on the relationship between Trump and Alpha Bank years later. The claims are dismissed by the Department of Justice Inspector General. Thank you, Michael Horowitz. The next panel shows researchers David Dagon and Manos Antonakakis we're looking at the origins of the DNC hack during the same time period that they were working with New Star executive Ronnie Joffe on the ill-fated effort to show a connection between Donald Trump and Russia's Alpha Bank. This is only certain now because Senator Chuck Grassley was able to elicit an admission from the Pentagon's Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, or DARPA, that these researchers produced a, quote, Fancy Bear APT-28 attribution analysis on August 7th, 2016, 
roughly the same time frame as the Alpha Bank fiasco. October 7th, 2016. The Department of Homeland Security and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence released the first public statement making an official public attribution of the hack to Russia. The only known report the government has received on this issue comes from the same DARPA researchers who worked on the Alpha paper. I wonder if you guys are starting to figure this out yet. October 13th, 2016, FBI agent Elvis Chan asked for access to CrowdStrike data of Perkins Coie's lawyer, Michael Sussman who promises to check if it's, quote, with CrowdStrike now or at the DNC, underscoring another fact not disclosed until years later, that CrowdStrike was not involved with the October 7th attribution. So just make that clear. They already attributed the hack to the Russians prior to bringing CrowdStrike on and then they gave CrowdStrike limited info with which to infer and establish them uh, later saying it was Russians. But they'd, they'd, it was, the die was already cast before CrowdStrike arrived on the scene. October 31st, 2016, Slate, whose reporter had met with Sussman, publishes a story on the Alpha Bank Trump connection. December 9th, 2016, President Barack Obama orders the intelligence community to assess Russian election activities. January 6, 2017. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence releases its intelligence assessment describing, quote, unprecedented Russian interference in the 2016 election. By the way, that's true. Like, we can go bicameral with that. That's a little, that's literally a true statement. It's just not the way Democrats and MSM say it's true. There was unprecedented Russian interference in the 2016 election, guys, but it was Hillary Clinton and Chuck Dolan and Rodney Joffe, uh, the DARPA researchers, uh, Michael Sussman, Danchenko, and others correct colluding with Russia, Charles McGonigal, Oleg Deripaska. There was Russia collusion and there was unprecedented Russian interference in the 2016 election, but it came from the other direction. <laughs> yep. Frank quarters, Christopher Steele, who Trump has announced a lawsuit against. I saw this morning. I haven't looked into it at all, but I saw the headline. Yeah, Christopher Steele, who was working for Hillary Clinton and also worked for Oleg Deripaska. Okay. All right, so we're going to go back in time. To help us with this timeline here... Oh, wait. Actually, I think there's a little bit more of this article. Not quite yet. There's two more paragraphs. The Department of Homeland Security announced on October 7th that the recent disclosures of alleged hacked emails on sites like DCLeaks.com and WikiLeaks and by the Goosefer 2.0 online persona are consistent with the methods and motivations of Russian-directed efforts. The language about the hacks being, quote, consistent with the, quote, methods and motivations of, quote, Russian-directed efforts, and in parentheses they write Russian-directed with a question mark, is oddly weak beer. Oddly weak beer. 
and came during the same time frame when the story was being hawked to slate dope Franklin Foer. Emails from Clinton lawyer Michael Sussman to the FBI on October 13th, which John Durham obtained, meanwhile show federal law enforcement did not have data from CrowdStrike when the October 7th announcement was made. And they say more to come on this. All right, so this is the new breaking story. It's this one, and then there's this story right here. Forget Russia collusion was interference, also fake news. Open records investigations suggest the same academic researchers responsible for the infamous alpha server hoax were likely also the government's initial source that Russia did the DNC hack. So I want to go back in time and try and like walk through the development of this case just a bit to want, because I want, I think it's going to make the, uh, it's going to put things together just a little bit better. And we'll come back around to Durham. So this is from the intercept. Here's the public evidence. Russia hacked the DNC. It's not enough. It's impossible to present the evidence that Russia hacked the DNC without using words like possibly, appears, connects, and indicates. This is by Sam Biddle, December 14th, 2016. There are some good reasons to believe Russians had something to do with the breaches into email accounts belonging to the members of the Democratic Party, which proved varyingly embarrassing or disruptive for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. But good doesn't necessarily mean good enough to indict Russia's head of state for sabotaging our democracy. There's a lot of evidence from the attack on the table, mostly detailing how the hack was perpetrated and possibly the language of the perpetrators. It certainly remains plausible that Russians hacked the DNC and remains possible that Russia itself ordered it. But the refrain of Russian attribution has been repeated so regularly and so emphatically that it's become easy to forget that no one has ever truly proven the claim. Again, this is from December 2016 in The Intercept. Not exactly a Trump-friendly outfit, but they're being honest, or at least Sam Biddle here is being honest. The evidence didn't exist in December 2016 to prove it, even though the media and the DNC and Hillary Clinton, etc., were committed to making that claim immediately and from from April 11th, 2016 onward without evidence. There is strong evidence indicating that the Democratic email accounts were breached by phishing messages and that specific malware was spread across DNC computers. There's even evidence that the attackers are the same group that's been spotted attacking other targets in the past. But again, no one has actually proven that group is the Russian government or works for it. This remains the enormous inductive leap that's been reckoned with and Americans deserve better. We should also bear in mind that private security from CrowdStrike's frequently cited findings of Russian responsibility were essentially paid for by the DNC, which contracted its services in June. It's highly unusual for evidence of a crime to be assembled on the victim's dime. If we're going to blame the Russian government for disrupting our presidential election, easily construed as an act of war, we need to be damn sure of every single shred of evidence. Guesswork and assumption could be disastrous. The gist of the case against Russia goes like this. The person or people who infiltrated the DNC's email system 
and the account of John Podesta left behind clues of varying technical specificity indicating that they have some connection to Russia, or at least speak Russian. Guccifer 2.0, the entity that originally distributed hacked materials from the Democratic Party, is a deeply suspicious figure who has made statements and decisions that indicate some Russian connection. It turned out he didn't. He was a total, total fake. The website DC Leaks, which began publishing a great number of DNC emails, has some apparent ties to Guccifer and possibly Russia. And then there's WikiLeaks, which after a long, sad slide into paranoia, conspiracy, conspiracy theorizing, and general internet toxicity, has made no attempt to mask its affection for Vladimir Putin and its crazed attempt or contempt for Hillary Clinton. Julian Assange has been stuck indoors for a very, very long time. If you look at all of this and sort of squint, it looks quite strong indeed. An insurmountable heap of circumstantial evidence to too great in volume to dismiss as just circumstantial or mere coincidence. But look more closely at the above and you can't help but notice all of the qualifying words. Possibly, appears, connects, indicates. It's impossible, or at least dishonest, to present the evidence for Russian responsibility for hacking the Democrats without using language like this. The question then is, do we want to make major foreign policy decisions with a belligerent nuclear power based on suggestions alone, no matter how strong? What we know. Again, this is from December 2016. So far, all of the evidence pointing to Russia's involvement in the Democratic hacks, DNC, DCCC, Podesta, etc., comes from either private security firms like CrowdStrike or FireEye, who sell cyber defense services to other companies, or independent researchers, some with university affiliations. <laughs> hint, hint. And serious credentials, and some who are basically just guys on Twitter. Although some of these private firms, gr firm groups have uh, proprietary access to DNC computers or files from them. Much of the evidence has been drawn from publicly available data, like the hacked emails and documents. Some of the malware found on DNC computers is believed to be the same as that used by two hacking groups believed to be Russian intelligence units, codenamed APT, or Advanced Persistent Threat, number 28, and their nickname is Fancy Bear, and APT-29, nicknamed Cozy Bear. The attacker or attackers registered as deliberately misspelled domain names. Those used for email phishing attacks against DNC employees connected to an IP address associated with Fancy Bear. Malware found on DNC computers was programmed to communicate with an IP address associated with Fancy Bear. Metadata in a file leaked by Guccifer 2.0 shows it was modified by a user called, in Cyrillic, Felix Edmundovich, a reference to the founder of a Soviet-era secret police force. Another document contains, contained, excuse me, contained Cyrillic metadata indicating it had been edited on a document with Russian language settings. Peculiarities in a conversation with Goose for 2.0 that Motherbird, Motherbird, <laughs> that Motherboard published in June suggest he is not Romanian, as he originally claimed. 
The DC leaks domain was registered by a person using the same email service as the person who registered a misspelled domain used to send phishing emails to DC employees. Some of the phishing emails were sent using Yandex, a Moscow-based webmail provider. A bit.ly link believed to have been used by Fancy Bear in the past was also used against Podesta. Now, why that isn't enough? Viewed as a whole, the above evidence looks strong, maybe even damning, but each piece on its own, it's hard to feel impressed by. For one, a lot of the so-called evidence above is no such thing. CrowdStrike, who claims, uh, whose claims of Russian responsibility are perhaps best known or are most influential throughout the media, says Fancy Bear, quote, is known for its technique of registering domains that closely resemble domains of legitimate organizations they plan to target. But this isn't a Russian technique any more than using a computer is a Russian technique. Misspelled domains are a cornerstone of phishing attacks all over the world. Is Yandex, the Russian equivalent of Google, some sort of giveaway? Anyone who claimed a hacker must be a CIA agent because they used a Gmail account would be laughed off the internet. We must also acknowledge that just because Goosefer 2.0 pretended to be Romanian, we can't conclude he works for the Russian government. It just makes him a liar. Next, consider the fact that CrowdStrike describes Fancy Bear and Cozy Bear like this. Quote, their trade craft is superb, operational security second to none, and the extensive usage of, quote, living off the land techniques enables them to easily bypass many security solutions they encounter. In particular, we identified advanced methods consistent with nation state level capabilities, including deliberate targeting and access management trade craft. Both groups were constantly going back into the environment to change out their implants modify persistent methods, move to new command and control channels, and perform their task to try to stay ahead of being detected. I want you guys to just put a pin in this claim of nation-state level capabilities. Just keep that in mind, that that's what CrowdStrike said, that they had nation-state level capabilities, or appeared to have. We'll come back around to it. Compare that description to CrowdStrike's claim. It was able to finger Fancy Bear, APT28, and Cozy Bear, APT29, described above as digital spies par excellence because they were so incredibly sloppy. Would a group whose tradecraft is superb with operational security second to none really leave behind the name of a Soviet spy chief imprinted on a document it sent to American journalists? Would these groups really be dumb enough to leave Cyrillic comments on these documents? Would these groups that constantly go back into the environment to change out their implants, modify persistent methods, move to new command and control channels, get caught because they precisely didn't make sure not to use IP addresses that IP addresses they'd been associated with before. It's hard to buy the argument that the Democrats were hacked by one of the most sophisticated diabolical foreign intelligence services in history. And that we know this because they screwed up over and over again. But how do we even know 
these oddly named groups are Russian. CrowdStrike co-founder Dmitry Alperovich himself describes APT-28 as a Russian-based threat actor whose modus operandi, quote, closely mirrors the strategic interest of the Russian government and may indicate affiliation with Russia's main intelligence department, or GRU, Russia's premier military intelligence service. Security firm SecureWorks issued a report blaming Russia with, quote, moderate confidence. What constitutes moderate confidence? SecureWorks said it adopted the, quote, grading system published by the U.S. Office of the Director of National Intelligence to indicate confidence in their assessments. Moderate confidence generally means that the information is credibly sourced and plausible, but not enough of the sufficient quality or corroborated sufficiently to warrant a higher level of confidence. All of this amounts to a very educated guess at best. Even the claim that APT-28, a.k.a. Fancy Bear, itself is a group working for the Kremlin is speculative, a fact that's been completely erased from this year's discourse. In its 2014 reveal of the group, the high-profile security firm FireEye couldn't even blame Russia without a question mark in the headline. Quote, APT-28, a window into Russia's cyber espionage operations? Question mark. The blog post itself is remarkably similar to arguments about the DNC hack, technical but still largely speculative, presenting evidence the company, quote, believes indicate a government sponsor based in Moscow. Believe, indicate, we should know already that this is no smoking gun. FireEye's argument that the malware used by APT-28 is connected to the Russian government is based on the belief that its, quote, developers are Russian language speakers operating during business hours that are consistent with the time zone of Russia's major cities. Just take a minute to laugh at that. As security researcher Jeffrey Carr pointed out in June, FireEye's 2014 report on APT-28, a.k.a. Fancy Bear, is questionable from the start. To my surprise, the report's authors declared that they deliberately excluded evidence that didn't support their judgment that the Russian government was responsible for APT-28's activities. Quote, APT-28 has targeted a variety of organizations that fall outside of the three themes we highlighted above. However, we are not profiling all of APT-28's targets with the same detail because they are not particularly indicative of a specific sponsor's interest. That is the very definition of confirmation bias. Had FireEye published a detailed picture of APT-28's activities, including all of their known targets, other theories regarding this group could have emerged. For example, that the malware developers and the operators of that malware were not the same or even necessarily affiliated. The notion that APT-28 has a narrow focus on American political targets is undermined in another Secure Works paper, which shows that the hackers had a wide variety of interest. 10% of their targets are NGOs, 22% are journalists, 4% are aerospace researchers, 8% are government supply chain. Secure Works says that the only that only 8% of AP20, APT-28, aka Fancy Bears, targets, are government personnel of any nationality. Hardly the focused agenda described by CrowdStrike. Truly, the argument that Goose for 2.0 is a Kremlin agent 
or that GRU breached John Podesta's email only works if you presume that APT28 slash Fancy Bear is a unit of the Russian government, a fact that has never been proven beyond any reasonable doubt. According to Carr, quote, it's an old assumption going back years to when any attack against a non-financial target was attributed to a state actor. Without that premise, all we can truly conclude is that some email accounts at the DNC appear to have been broken into by someone, and perhaps they speak Russian. Left ignored is the mammoth difference between Russia, Russians and Russia. Security researcher Claudio Garnieri put it this way, quote, private security firms can't produce anything conclusive. What they produce is speculative attribution that is pretty common to make in their threat research field. I do that, I do that same speculative attribution myself, but it is just circumstantial. At the very best, it can only prove that the actor that, pen- that perpetrated the attack is very likely located in Russia. As for government involvement, it can only speculate that it is plausible because of context and political motivations, as well as technical connections with previous um, or following attacks that appear to be perpetrated by the same group and that corroborate the analysis that it is a Russian state-sponsored actor. For example, hacking of institutions of other countries Russia has some geopolitical interest in. Finally, one can't be reminded enough that all of the evidence comes from private companies with a direct financial interest in making the internet seem as scary as possible, just as Lysol depends on making you believe your kitchen is crawling with E. coli. This is a really good article, huh? <laughs> I like this article. I like this writer. Uh, what does the government know? And I don't know anything about him. It may turn out that he's he's a total tool bag. I don't like him, <laughs> but because uh, he is at the intercept. But I like this article. In October, the Department of Homeland Security and the Office of Director of National Intelligence released a joint statement blaming the Russian government for hacking the DNC. In it, they state their attribution plainly. Quote, The U.S. intelligence community, USIC, is confident that the Russian government directed the recent compromise of emails from U.S. persons and institutions, including from U.S. political organizations. The recent disclosures of alleged hacked emails on sites like DCLeaks.com and WikiLeaks and by Goosefer 2.0 online persona are consistent with the methods and motivations of Russian-directed efforts. These thefts and disclosures are intended to interfere with the U.S. election process. What's missing is any evidence at all. If this federal confidence is based on evidence that's being withheld from the public for any reason, that's one thing. Secrecy is their game. But if the U.S. intelligence community is asking the American electorate to believe them, to accept as true their claim that our most important civic institution was compromised by a longtime geopolitical nemesis, we need them to show us why. The same goes for the CIA, which is now squaring off directly against Trump, claiming through leaks to the Washington Post and New York Times, that the Russian government conducted the attacks, or the hacks, for the express purpose of helping defeat Clinton. Days later, Senator John McCain, Rodney Joffe's friend, by the way, agreed with the assessment, deeming it, quote, another form of warfare. 
Again, it's completely possible and probable, really, that the CIA possesses hard evidence that could establish Russian attribution. It's their job to have such evidence and often to keep it secret. But what, we're, what we are presented with isn't just the idea that these hacks happened and that someone is responsible. And well, I guess it's just a shame. Our lawmakers and intelligence agencies are asking us to react to an attack that is almost military in nature. This is, we're being told, warfare. When a foreign government conducts or supports an act of warfare against another country, it's entirely possible that there will be an equal response. What we're looking at now is the distinct possibility that the United States will consider military retaliation, digital or otherwise, against Russia based on nothing but private sector consultants and secret intelligence agency notes. If you care about the country enough to be angry at the prospect of election meddling, you should be terrified of the prospect of military tensions with Russia based on hidden evidence. You need not look too far back in recent history to find an example of when wrongly blaming a foreign government for sponsoring an attack on the U.S. has tremendously backfired. All right. Well, I'll just, I'll read this one last part. It must be stated plainly. The U.S. intelligence community must make its evidence against Russia public if they want us to believe their claims. The integrity of our presidential elections is vital to the country's survival. Blind trust in the CIA is not. A governmental disclosure like this is also not entirely without precedent. In 2014, the Department of Justice produced a 56-page indictment detailing their exact evidence against a team of Chinese hackers for working for the PLA, accused of stealing American trade secrets. Each member was accused by name. The 2014 trade uh, trade secret theft was a crime of much lower magnitude than election meddling. But what the DOJ furnished is what we should demand today from our country's spies. If the CIA does show its hand, we should demand to see the evidence that matters, which, according to Edward Snowden, the government probably has if it exists. I asked Jeffrey Carr what he would consider undeniable evidence of Russian governmental involvement. Quote, captured communications between a Russian government employee and the hackers. Adding that attribution should solely be handled by government agencies because they have the legal authorization to do what it takes to get hard evidence. Meaning search warrants, NSA, all sorts of stuff. All right, long article, but I thought it was really good, and I wanted to take us back to December 2016. The die is cast, Russia did it, but even a lefty outlet like The Intercept is saying, hold up, guys. There's no, there's no hard evidence here. It's all speculation, it's all possible, perhaps, maybe, could be. It's all of those types of qualifying words. All right, now let's skip ahead. Two years, two and a half years. Consortium News, June 17th, 2019. FBI never saw CrowdStrike unredacted or final report on alleged Russian hacking because none was produced. By Ray McGovern. The FBI relied on CrowdStrike's conclusion to blame Russia for hacking DNC servers, though the private firm never produced a final report, and the FBI never asked them to. CrowdStrike, the controversial cybersecurity firm that the Democratic National Committee chose over the FBI in 2016 to examine its compromised computer servers, remember that, 
They didn't bring in the FBI to look at that stuff. Although there, something gets ignored or forgotten. Uh, the FBI was already working with the uh, DNC on something else. And Seth Rich was had met with the FBI about it. And it had to do with cybersecurity, I believe, if I'm recalling correctly. And then this came about. And they chose, they brought CrowdStrike in instead of going with the FBI. I'd have to dig again and pull that back up. Um, it's too far back in my memory. Uh, but it's one of the things I think Seth Rich was killed for. I think Seth Rich was already talking to the FBI about what was going on before um, but before the hack happened and the, or the hack became public news and then they had to take him out. Not the FBI took him out. Dems and MS-13. Right. So they never produced an unredacted or final forensic report for the government because the FBI never required it to. The revelation came in a court filing by the government in the pre-trial phase of Roger Stone, a longtime Republican operative who had an unofficial role in the campaign of candidate Donald Trump. Stone has been charged with misleading Congress, obstructing justice, and intimidating a witness. The filing was in response to a motion by Stone's lawyers asking for, quote, unredacted reports from CrowdStrike in an effort to get the government to prove that Russia hacked the DNC server. The, the government does not possess the information the defendant seeks, the filing says. In his motion, Stone's lawyer said he had only been given three redacted drafts. In a startling footnote in the government's response, the DOJ admits the drafts are all that exist. Quote, although the reports produced to the defendant are marked draft, counsel for the DNC and DCCC inform the government that they are the last version of the report produced. In other words, CrowdStrike, upon which the, the FBI relied to conclude that Russia hacked the DNC, never completed a final report and only turned over three redacted drafts to the government. These drafts were voluntarily given to the FBI by DNC lawyers. Hello, Michael Sussman. The filing says, no redacted information concerned the attribution of the attack to Russian actors. The filing quotes DNC lawyers as saying. In Stone's motion, his lawyers argued, quote, if the Russian state did not hack the DNC, DCCC, or John Podesta's servers, then Roger Stone was prosecuted for obstructing a congressional investigation into an unproven Russian state hacking conspiracy. The issue of whether or not the DNC was hacked is central to the defendant's case. The DOJ responded, quote, the government does not need to prove at the defendant's trial that the Russians hacked the DNC in order to prove the defendant made false statements, tampered with a witness, and obstructed justice into a congressional investigation regarding election interference. Thousands of emails from the DNC server were published by WikiLeaks in July 2016, revealing that blah, 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 blah. Now, Comey can't say why. Again, we're in, we are in June 2019. At a time of high tension in the 2016 presidential campaign when the late John McCain and others were calling Russian hacking an act of war, the FBI settled for three redacted draft reports from CrowdStrike rather than investigate the alleged hacking itself. 
the court documents show. The FBI, then FBI Director James Comey, admitted in congressional testimony that he chose not to take control of the DNC's hacked computers and did not dispatch FBI computer experts to inspect them, but has trouble explaining why. In his testimony, he conceded that best practices would have dictated that forensic experts gain physical access to the computers. Nevertheless, the FBI decided to rely on forensics performed by a firm being paid for by the DNC. Suspicions grew as Comey started referring to CrowdStrike as, quote, the pros that they hired. Doubts became more intense when he referred to CrowdStrike as a high-class entity. In fact, the company had a tarnished reputation for reliability and objectivity well before it was hired by the DNC. Dmitry Oparovich, a CrowdStrike co-founder, is an opponent of Russian President Vladimir Putin and a senior fellow at the anti-Russian Atlantic Council think tank in Washington. My, 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 what a small world. CrowdStrike said it determined that Russia had hacked the DNC server because it found Cyrillic letters in the metadata, as well as the name of the first Soviet intelligence chief. Clues an amateur might leave or someone who was trying to breadcrumb the investigators to a specific conclusion. CrowdStrike was forced to revise and retract statements it used to buttress claims of Russian hacking during last year's American presidential election campaign. Now, a little bit of a timeline here. June 12, 2016, Julian Assange announces WikiLeaks is about to publish emails related to Hillary Clinton. June 14th, DNC contractor CrowdStrike, with a dubious professional record, announces that malware was found on the DNC server and claims there is evidence it was in, in, injected by Russians. June 15th, 2016, next day, Goosefer 2.0 affirms the DNC statement, claims responsibility for the hack. Dude was a total plant. Okay. Now... Let's go to FBI. Let's go to uh, Comey. Yeah, let's just read a little bit of this Comey excerpt. Okay. Before we go to the next article. Why did FBI Director James Comey not simply insist on access to the DNC computers? Surely he could have gotten the appropriate authorization. In early January 2017, reacting to media reports that the FBI never asked for access... Comey told the Senate Intelligence Committee there were multiple requests at different levels for access to the DNC servers. Now remember, guys, you got to be really careful with Comey. He's very, very careful with the words he chooses. He's almost like Trump. Where you, yeah, he is like Trump with the words he chooses because he, make, he allows for the listener to hear what they want to hear by the words he chooses. I think that's a good, yeah. He, he speaks in a way that it allows people um, to interpret it according to their own biases. Um, Comey told the Senate Intelligence Committee there were, quote, multiple requests at different levels for access to the DNC server. I wonder which levels those were, guys. If it was, if this was truly an act of war, wouldn't some of those levels be military? I wonder if one of those levels was NSA, etc. For access to DNC servers, 
Quote, ultimately, what was agreed to is the private company would share with us what they saw. Comey described CrowdStrike as a, quote, highly respected cybersecurity company. Asked by committee chairman Richard Burr of North Carolina whether direct access to the servers and devices would have helped the FBI in their investigation, Comey said it would have. Quote, our forensics folks would always prefer to get access to the original device or server that's involved. So it's the best evidence. Five months later, after Comey had been fired, Burr gave him a mulligan in the form of a few kid gloves, clearly well-rehearsed questions. Burr, and the FBI in this case, and like other cases that you might investigate, did you ever have access to the actual hardware that was hacked? Or did you have to rely on third party to provide you that data that they had collected? Comey, in the case of the DNC, keep that in mind, in the case of the DNC, we did not have access to the devices themselves. We got relevant forensic information from a private party, a high-class entity that had done the work, but we didn't get direct access. Burr, but no content? Comey, correct. Burr, isn't content an important part of the forensics from a counterintelligence standpoint? Comey, it is. Although what was briefed to me by my folks, the people who were my folks at the time, is that they had gotten the information from the private third party, from the private party, that they needed to understand the intrusion by the spring of 2016. More telling was earlier questioning by House Intelligence Committee member Rep. Will Hurd of Texas, who had been a CIA officer for a decade. On March 20th, 2017, while he was still FBI director, Comey evidenced some considerable discomfort as he tried to explain to the committee why the FBI did not insist on getting physical access to the DNC computers and do its own forensics. Heard. So there was about a year between the FBI's first notification of some potential problems with the DNC network and then that information getting on, getting on WikiLeaks. Comey, yes, sir. Heard. When did the DNC provide access for or to the FBI for your technical folks to review what happened? Comey, well, we never got direct access to the machines themselves. The DNC in the spring of 2016 hired a firm that ultimately shared with us their forensics from their review of the system. Heard. So, Director FBI notified the DNC early before any information was put on WikiLeaks. And when you have still been, never been given access, you've never been given access to any of the technical or physical machines that were hacked by the Russians? Comey, that's correct. Although we got the forensics from the pros that they hired which again, best practice is always to get access to the machines themselves. But this, my folks tell me, was an appropriate substitute. All right. Pause. This is exactly what I mean by Comey and the way he talks. And he allows people's own biases to, to connect things for them and come out and like interpret it their own way. But this is, he's being careful here. My folks tell me that this was an appropriate substitute. All right, guys. Can anybody in chat tell me? In what scenario would not examining the hardware for the hack, but accepting a private party's report be an appropriate substitute for looking at the server's themselves looking at the hardware themselves 
There's a very simple answer to why looking at the physical machines was not as preferable as allowing CrowdStrike to hand them a private party forensic report. The FBI, in other words, the FBI, Comey, decided not to get access to the hardware at the DNC and DCCC and examined themselves. Instead, they wanted CrowdStrike's report. Under what scenarios would what scenario would that be appropriate? Jatriot's the closest. Good morning, Jatriot. The answer, the answer is because that report is evidence of a crime. And that report might be a crime itself. So, like... Yeah, mermaid. Because the collusion, like you want to catch all these criminals. This hack, this hack, they wanted to have it happen. The DNC wanted the hack. They wanted to blame Russia. They wanted that story. They allowed it to happen. And remember what we looked at at the beginning of the show with the DARPA researchers? The DARPA researchers are the ones who were tasked to look at it first. And we know these are the same DARPA researchers that worked on Alpha Bank. And what did they do in Alpha Bank? They faked it. They spoofed the data for Alpha Bank hoax to connect Alpha Bank to Trump, to Trump Tower. And that was Rodney Joffe, David Dagon, Manos Antonakakis, the Georgia Tech researchers. They faked all that in order to create a fake connection between Trump Tower and Alpha Bank in Russia. They also faked the DNC hack. And so when Comey and the FBI don't go for the hardware, they don't need the physical hardware, guys. There's no reason to look at the physical hardware. Because it's all fake. It's all spoofed, just like Alpha Bank. So, instead of going to the hardware and wanting to get the hardware, they want more evidence of the crime by getting the report from CrowdStrike, which is part of the cover-up. Does that make sense? It's like... um. It's like uh, if somebody started a fire and it's like insurance fraud, but the guy that is the insurance adjuster and the insurance people who are doing the inspection and the adjusting, the, the insurance adjustment and the payout are on the take on it too. And so the authorities investigating the arson want to get a report from, they might want to get a report from the insurance company because they know the insurance company or at least that insurance adjuster is complicit in the fire. 
because he's going to get a kickback. Like, let's say there's some scheme between a guy to set his own property on fire and commit arson and an insurance adjuster who's going to come out and say, oh, yep, you're covered. Here's your payout for it. And he's going to get a kickback from it. So the authorities allow that to happen. And then they want to get that report from the adjuster and the communications from the adjuster eventually because they recognize that there's a scheme between the two parties to commit this this insurance fraud. So that report that the insurance adjuster produces, this is totally a hypothetical scenario, is now evidence in the, in the, the criminal scheme, in the conspiracy. So the reason, Co- I mean, this is my hypothesis here, but it makes sense to me. The reason Comius says it was an appropriate substitute to instead of looking at the DNC hardware to get the report from CrowdStrike is because the report from CrowdStrike is literally evidence against CrowdStrike and the rest of them. Moving on. This is, I hope I can finish this by the end of the show because this is going to get good. I have some more surprises. Declassified transcripts. CrowdStrike couldn't say for sure Russian stole DNC email because they didn't. Because they didn't. CrowdStrike's Sean Henry was interviewed by House Intelligence Committee members in December 2017. This story is from May 8th, 2020. Declassified documents released by House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff show the president of CrowdStrike Services couldn't say for certain that Russians downloaded Democratic Party emails. During the interviews made public on Thursday, Sean Henry explained that CrowdStrike found some evidence that information was taken from DNC servers, but it was not conclusive. Quote, there is evidence of exfiltration, not conclusive, but indicators of exfiltration off the DNC. And I believe him on that, guys. I believe him that, that it was exfiltrated, okay? That there's some evidence of it, I, but the attribution is where the fakery comes in, I believe. 70 gigabytes of data were exfiltrated from the DNC's network. That's a fact based on the evidence. That's according to CrowdStrike, 70 gigabytes of data was exfiltrated from DNC's network. I would reckon that's probably true, but it's the attribution of who did it and why and where it went. I think it was exfiltrated, but it was exfiltrated. My, my own theory is it was exfiltrated by the people in, in Cyprus. And actually, I'm going to save that. I'm going to save it for a minute unequivocally say it was not exfiltrated out of the DNC, even though it blah, 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 blah. Okay. And he responded, I can't say based on that. Wait, wait, wait. Conway, Rep Conway asked Sean Henry whether he could unequivocally say it was or was not exfiltrated out of the DNC. Henry responded, I can't say based on that. The closed door interview is one of 57 that the committee conducted during its two-year Russia investigation, et cetera, et cetera. Real Clear Investigations, Aaron Matei, May 13th, 2020. Talking about CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike President Sean Henry's admission that he had no concrete evidence that Russian hackers stole emails from Democrat National Committee server. Sean Henry's admission under oath in a recently declassified December 2017 interview before the House Intelligence Committee raises new questions about whether Special Counsel Robert Mueller Intelligence officials and Democrats misled the public. The allegation that Russia stole Democratic Party emails 
from Hillary Clinton, John Podesta, and others, and then pass them to WikiLeaks, helped trigger the FBI's probe into how into now debunked claims of conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russia to steal the 2016 election. The CrowdStrike admissions were released just two months ago after the Justice Department retreated from its other central claim that Russia meddled in the 2016 election when it dropped charges against Russian troll farms it said had been trying to get Trump elected. Henry reiterated his claim multiple times in the hearing. Quote, there are times when we can see data exfiltrated and we can say conclusively, but in this case, it appears it was set up to be exfiltrated. It appears it was set up to be exfiltrated. I'm telling you, the DNC, Hillary Clinton, they wanted to be hacked. They left the door open and they hired the hackers who did it. We're going to find out that they left the door open. They hired the peop- the hacking group to do it. And then they hired Rodney Joffe and the Georgia Tech researchers to spoof some data attributing it to Russia. Quote, there's not evidence that they were actually exfiltrated. There's circumstantial evidence, but no evidence they were actually exfiltrated. Quote, there is circumstantial evidence that data was exfiltrated off the network. We didn't have a sensor in place that saw data leave. We said that the data left based on circumstantial evidence. That was the conclusion that we made. Quote, sir, I was just trying to be factually accurate that we didn't see the data leave, but we believe it left based on what we saw. Asked directly if he could, quote, unequivocally say whether it was or was not exfiltrated out of the DNC, Henry told the committee, I can't say. Next article. Actually, I'll, I'll skip. Well, yeah, this is from CrowdStrike, June 5th, in response to that stuff that came out. This is what CrowdStrike said. CrowdStrike was contacted on April 30th, 2016, to respond to the suspected breach. We began our work May 1st, collecting intelligence and analyzing the breach. After conducting this analysis and identifying the adversaries in the network on June 10th, we initiated a coordinated remediation event to ensure the intruders were removed and could not regain access. The remediation process lasted approximately two to three days and was completely completed on June 13th. The DNC contacted CrowdStrike to respond to an unsuspected cyber attack impacting its network. The DNC was first alerted to the hack by the FBI in September of 2015. Check it. The DNC was first alerted to the hack by the FBI in September of 2015. According to testimony by DNC IT contractor, you read to mean Volda Johannes, the FBI attributed the breach to the Russian government in September 2017. Why did the DNC hire CrowdStrike instead of just working with the FBI to investigate? I believe this is the investigation that I have a memory of Seth Rich working with that Seth Rich met with the FBI in relation to this matter prior to the DNC hack in 2016. But I got to go find it. I could be totally wrong. I got to go find it. Why did the DNC hire CrowdStrike instead of um, working with the FBI? The FBI doesn't perform incident response or network remediation services when organizations need to get back to business after a breach. That's what CrowdStrike was hired for. But I believe that one of the, it's, I almost see CrowdStrike 
as I think there's a possibility that CrowdStrike was manipulated. Well, actually, I think it's actually a, a sure bet that CrowdStrike itself was manipulated here. And they were given they were given data that was massaged and created and it and it was made to force it was made in a way that would lead them to a conclusion of Russia. It was breadcrumbed. It had all these hallmarks artificially added to it by Georgia Tech researchers, I think. And so that CrowdStrike would arrive at the conclusion that they did on purpose and then do the remediation service, right? So that's another reason why that report is evidence against the Georgia Tech researchers, because I believe what they gave um, CrowdStrike to look at in the first place is criminal. It's it's a it's false data or there is false data in it. All right, let's get this let's, real quick and let's touch on Zelensky's phone call. September twenty fifth, President Trump's reference to an American cybersecurity company, CrowdStrike, in a July call with Ukraine's president, as revealed in notes released Wednesday, was brief and cryptic. But there are several ways the company could have come to Trump's attention, including for blah 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 CrowdStrike blah 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 blah. According to the rough transcript, Trump said in the July 25th phone call with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, quote, I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. I would like you to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say CrowdStrike, dot, dot, dot. I guess you have one of your wealthy people, dot, dot, dot. Kolomoisky. The server, they say, Ukraine has it. There are a lot of things that went on, the whole situation. I think you're surrounding yourself with some of the same people. I would like, Kolomoisky, I would like to have the Attorney General call you or your people, and I would like you to get to the bottom of it. They impeached him for that, guys, as you as all know. Now, they say the server is in Ukraine. I think a lot of people hear that and they think that the literal physical server that was in the DNC was shipped off to Ukraine. But I think what it is, is that the, the server which housed the hackers who were hired by Hillary Clinton to go through the open door in the DNC servers, that hardware is in Ukraine. Maybe in a building owned by Kolomoisky. Okay. Now back around to the beginning. My dogs are awake. Um, back to the beginning where we started here with this new stuff about DARPA that Grassley found or the Grassley pulled up. Remember the Durham report. This right here, this new evidence that Grassley has, has, has gotten, shows that the Georgia Tech researchers are who the DNC first relied on in investigating this, the DNC hack. Okay, 
methods and motivations. Where is it? Where'd it go? Where'd it go? I wanted to find that, that footnote. I want to look right at that footnote. Grassley. Is it linked right here? Oh, here it is. Here it is. All right. Enclosed. August 7th, 2016. Document titled Fancy Bear APT 28 Attribution Analysis may correspond to the white paper on DNC attack attribution referenced in April 28th letter. Before the start of the EA program, the Georgia Tech team conducted research on the publicly reported July 2016 Fancy Bear APT 28 campaign and provided the results to researchers at DARPA, likely to highlight the capabilities of their technical approach. The Georgia Tech team had submitted a proposal for work on the EA program and had been notified that they had been selected to negotiate on a contract reward. But the research conducted in this report was done of their own volition and was not paid for by DARPA. The document provides an analysis of the origins of the command and control servers, observations about the domain register system used by attackers, and indicators of the attack domains being resolved by other sensitive networks. Now to the Durham report. I highlighted this just the other week. In the Daily Mail, this is from August 11th of this year. DARPA's highly contested work with research partner Georgia Tech Georgia Institute of Technology and one of their computer scientists, Dr. Manos Antonakakis. An email obtained by Durham revealed Antonakakis, who was investigating the DNC and Republican National Committee RNC databases, said, quote, the only thing that drives us is that we don't like Trump, end quote. DARPA have continuously denied they were behind the allegations Russia was involved in the hack. The Republicans say a new email raises fresh questions about their claim and the origins of the now-debunked allegations. Senators Johnson and Grassley said the new evidence proves DARPA signed off on a project related to the Republican National Committee and Democratic National Committee. DailyMail.com has exclusively obtained a letter they wrote this week to Dr. Stephanie Tompkins, director of DARPA, demanding answers about the agency's work with the Georgia Institute of Technology Enhanced Attribution Program, EA related to the 2016 hack of DNC communications. The email from Antonakakis reads, Folks, last night, as I was thinking what we can study, I also realized that we do not know much about the RNC and DNC networks out there. Wrote a job that runs overnight, and I know I have I now have uh, 292 hand-verified at this point networks that are linked to RNC and DNC in all local, state, and committee networks around the U.S., an adversary would find those networks interesting for a number of reasons. Quote, so I think we should run a reverse Pythia and see what we can see. If you approve this, Mr. DARPA employee, I would like from you to think how we will break any bad news to these people. If you cannot think of a clear and clean way to inform them, is this DHS's role, FBI's, or USCC's? Perhaps we should let them remain infected. Durham report. In addition to its prosecution and declination decisions, the Office of Special Counsel by John Durham made the following referrals to other entities. One, a referral on June 30th, 2020 to the FBI's Washington field office regarding a matter related to an existing counterintelligence investigation. 
Two, a referral in December 2020 to OI of information relevant to the accuracy of information contained in four non-page FISA applications. Three, referrals of two matters on December 14, 2022 to the Inspector General of the Department of Defense with a copy of the General Counsel of the Defense Intelligence Agency. One matter involved the execution of a contract between DARPA and the Georgia Institute of Technology, and a separate matter involved the irregular conduct in 2016 of two former employees of the Department of Defense. Fancy Bear Attribution Analysis may correspond to the white paper on DNC attack attribution referenced in the April 28th letter. Before the start of the EA program, the Georgia Tech team conducted research on the publicly reported 2016 Fancy Bear, Ca Fancy Bear campaign and provided the results to the researchers at DARPA. The Georgia Tech team had submitted a proposal for work on the EA program and had been notified that they had been selected to negotiate a contract. Referrals on two matters. On the December 14th, 2022, Inspector General of the Department of Defense with a copy to the General Counsel of the Defense Intelligence Agency. One matter involved the execution of a contract between DARPA and the Georgia Institute of Technology. And a separate matter involved the irregular conduct in 2016 of two former employees of the Department of Defense. You guys see what I'm painting? Do you see the picture I'm painting here? DNC hack, the whole origin of this goes to Rodney Joffe, Manos Antonakakis, the Georgia Tech researchers, and Durham made a referral for them to Storch. Durham made a referral to, a referral to them to Storch and a referral to the general counsel, Defense Intelligence Agency. The DNC hack story is the Alpha Bank story all over again. The DNC hack story is the Alpha Bank story all over again. The difference is that there were intrusions, unlike in the Alpha Bank Trump Tower story, there was no communication there. There were intrusions into the DNC, and it's because the DNC wanted them there. They left the door open. Now, let me see if I can connect it to one other thing. I don't know if I have this handy. Seder. Uh, um, I don't know if I have this. I've shown on, I've shown on the, um, I've done it. I presented it on the show before. It's in a recording. Do I have here? Hold up. I wonder if I, if I have this recording. 
I don't think I do. I mean, I have it saved somewhere, but um, this is one of the things that I kind of wanted to let this story bake over the weekend and do a little bit more so I could, uh, this is the thing I wanted to add to it. Um, because I wanted to present this clip, All right? I don't have this clip handy. So, uh, but if you guys have been watching the show for a while, you, you may remember it. Um, so Felix Sater, um, told a story, um, a little about a year and a half ago, maybe. Um, Maybe it was a little a year and a half ago. He told a story in a um a, a Twitter space he did with some Spygate researchers. And he said, and I want to say it was April. Yeah, it was. It was March. It was late March, early April of 2016. He said, he said this the story takes place two weeks before the news of the DNC hack breaks. He says Felix Sater, who has worked as a asset, an informant, um, an infiltrator of various, I mean, a spy for FBI, DIA, CIA. He's done work all over the world and um, tremendous work. Um, he screwed up earlier in life and did some crooked stuff on Wall Street and he got busted for it. And in exchange for uh, leniency, he agreed to become an asset and help bust, help find criminals. He's uh, worked against the Russian mafia. He's worked against um, terrorist cells. He famously, I think he got Osama bin Laden. He's the guy who got Osama bin Laden's phone number at one time. I think that if I'm, if I remember right, he also saved a bunch of American soldiers lives in Afghanistan by um, finding a, um, infiltrating a terrorist network and finding a, a planned attack. Um, so he did an interview, I think it was a year and a half ago or so, and somewhere I have it. So if anybody wants it, you can comment on True Social or Twitter and I'll I'll find it. Or if if Julie Lewis sees this show, she might have it handy and, and replied with it. Um there was a case that Felix Sater worked that had to do with two hacking groups out of Ukraine. I think one Cyprus and one Ukraine. And they were uh, Russian-affiliated hacking groups. And um, you might as well say Russian slash Ukrainian uh, hacking groups. Two of them. And he had worked a case. Um, and he had, he's, in his words, he flipped these two. He brought these two hacking groups out and he flipped them over to our side, so to speak. And I don't know if he means they worked for us or if he means he they he just flipped them as, and he got a bunch of information from them, but he did a work and he was successful in getting these groups. He flipped them in his words. Well, he got that case that he worked on where he did that was sealed permanently in order to protect because it was so sensitive and top secret. Well, two weeks before the DNC hack news broke, Felix Sater says he was called into an, a courtroom for an emergency hearing 
on that case that was still sealed. And the reason was that, according to him, information and pieces of that case, people in that case, or information in that case, had suddenly become relevant again to something else, some other situation that was going on. And so they called him back in and they had a court hearing because this case was going to get unsealed and information from it was going to be used in this other investigation. And they needed to have Felix Sayer's appearance because they were going to reseal the case for like another 10 years or something. Uh, like, but, some, but the case had to be unsealed temporarily or something and then they resealed it. Wh whatever. I don't understand exactly how it works. What I do know is what Felix Sater said. He was called in for that hearing, and in that hearing, he learns that something he worked on with these two hacking groups that are Russian slash Ukrainian affiliated, and they were located one in Russia and one in Ukraine, I believe, if I recall correctly, that those groups had flipped back, that they had, he said they had gone back in, meaning they were now hacking again or they were doing a work for somebody. And that case is sealed. He leaves the hearing and he's like, oh, something's up with those two groups I had previously exposed. Two weeks later, the DNC hack story breaks. So according to Felix Sater, he believes, at least he did a year and a half ago or so, that the two groups he had previously flipped and that he had, was called into that hearing for are the groups that hacked the DNC, RNC, and DCCC. But here's the catch. Or here's the trick. I think it makes the most sense that they were hired by Hillary Clinton. Because they had, they could leave Russian fingerprints or whatever. So they, she hired these groups to hack through an open door, the RNC, DNC, DCCC, to create the narrative of Russian hacking and interfering in the election on behalf of Trump. And then Georgia Tech researchers are over there doing their white paper on Russian attribution to the DNC, of the DNC hack, and they create these stupid crumbs like Cyrillic in the document and uh, reference to the original intelligence officer for the Russian security service, all these stupid clues that professionals would never leave. That's what the white paper has in it because it came from these Georgia Tech researchers, just like they did with Alpha Bank. It never made any, the Alpha Bank story was stupid on the face of it. It was like Trump's tower email server one. Like they didn't even disguise the name of the, the server that was in Trump tower that they faked and they spoofed all this, all this information between the two. So I think that's what's going on here. And I think that Durham caught them. I mean, all this stuff that's in, that we just went over, like we have all these emails and these messages because of Durham. I also think that the whole reason Durham went after this bastard with a false statement charge is to get those emails. The whole reason he went after him with a false statement charge wasn't to convict him. It was to get the emails that we just went through in this timeline here. And in this timeline. He had to get those emails. 
so that they could be used later and he could turn them over in the annex and other things that he gave in the Durham report and that he handed off to other investigators and to Robert Storch over at DOD, the Inspector General. So I hope I'm painting this I hope I'm painting this picture well because I am super groggy today and I didn't really want to present all this today because I put it together um, late last night. Um, yeah. So there you go. <laughs> the whole show is about this. So um, there you go, guys. I, ho I hope y'all are getting what I'm laying down. Uh, I would probably do a much better job with a little bit more sleep, but um, I think I spelled it out. I saw a comment earlier I wanted to scroll back up on. Now I'm going to catch the rants and then we'll end the show. But I saw a comment earlier that I didn't understand. I wanted to scroll back. A comment in chat. Hold up. There it go. Okay, Brogent. Brogent said, first Ray Epps, now CrowdStrike. No one's working with the bad guys anymore, according to Kyle. I don't understand your comment because I literally said that Ray Epps is a, because Ray Epps is an Oath Keeper and the Oath Keepers are bad guys and Ray Epps is working with them. And then with CrowdStrike, I just explained how CrowdStrike was working with Dillard, the Georgia Tech researchers and Hillary Clinton and DNC and they hired him in order to arrive at a conclusion of, like, it was prescribed that they were going to arrive at the conclusion they arrived at. So I don't understand your comment because I'm literally saying that both of those, both Ray Epps and CrowdStrike are working with the bad guys. There may have been a joke I didn't get because I do see your laughing emojis. Um, but I got kind of, I got, I saw that and I got confused because I'm literally saying the opposite. Um, okay. It may be a joke that I just missed and don't understand right now. Okay. Yeah, fixing time over on uh um pilled. I covered Storch's uh his new um deal with I well I covered Storch's Storch news where he's been promoted to chair overseeing Operation Atlantic Resolve and then also um him signing a deal with Nabu. Um, I covered all that earlier this last week, some of it last week on this, this show, but then also on devolution power hour on Wednesday night, we went over some of that. It's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. Especially if you know the drops, then you know that how important Storch is. All right. There were a couple of rumble rants that I haven't gone over. Let me see. All right, Brogent, another Rumble rant. He said, we believe they just let Cozy Bear hang out on the server, but when they saw data pulled, i.e. Seth Rich, then they spoke up about unusual activity. Then July 16th, Rich is dead. Right. So that's exactly what I mean. Yeah. Uh, Cozy Bear and Fancy Bear hanging out on the server and observing traffic, right? And... um. I think that's what they were doing was just observing traffic back and forth, just having eyes on gathering intel. And then the data being pulled by, possibly by pull, being pulled by Rich. I, I go back and forth on whether or not 
um rich is the is the act is the acting player i think rich is actually just the vehicle and they used something they used his <clears throat> personal and work or maybe just his work computer on there to do the download and what what seth rich's role in it i'm not convinced that seth rich actually was actively doing it on behalf of wikileaks like i'm not convinced of that i know most people are i'm not i think he may have been used as the vehicle and he got yeah jason i'm more along with those that thinking that rich stumbled upon their operation i think he was already working with the fbi on that previous investigation that dated back to september 2015 and then his laptop was used to get that da- to download that to exfiltrate that data on site right and but i'm not sure that he is the is the guy who's like an actor in it i think he was just his vehicle, his computer was used um which is why it's such important evidence so i'm not i'm just not convinced that he himself was working with wikileaks like it could have been somebody using his access like through his hardware getting access it doesn't have to be him being the player being the contact if that makes sense Care Bear Player, thank you very much for the rant. Well, this morning I'm thinking pretty slow, <laughs> but I appreciate your compliment. Um, Jason, thank you for the rant. Shortly after his death, I, I did see a recording of Seth Rich giving a talk about cybersecurity conference some years before. Never found it again. During Trump's perfect... Dwayne, good morning. He says, during Trump's perfect phone call with Zelensky, Trump said that server was in Ukraine. Go look, it's in the transcript. Last possessor of the FBI. See, I'm not... I kind of go back and forth on which exact server he's talking about. But the transcript we have is... Um, it's a... Uh, it's not a direct transcript, but I need to read the transcript. I need to l- read or listen to the transcript again on the server part because I'm, they, they he says the server, the server that's in Ukraine. And I kind I think I lean towards him talking about a server that those groups that Felix Sater had previously exposed that I think Hillary Clinton hired to do the hacking that that server was in Ukraine and probably owned by Kolomoisky. That's what, that's what I think. Um, but it, I, see, I just don't, I can't connect how the cert, the literal server, the literal DNC server, how does that end up being shipped to Ukraine and why? Like why preserve it? Why take the physical server Preserve it and send it to Ukraine. That's that's why I don't I don't get that. I think he's just calling it the DNC server because it's the server used to hack the DNC. If that makes sense. Brogent. It was a joke. Okay. Okay, okay. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Brogent. Okay, now I get it. All right. That makes more sense. <laughs> Goat, thank you very much. He says, uh, 
appreciate your sensible painting coffee money. Thank you. I definitely need more coffee today. <laughs> I don't know what I did. I think it's just my sleep cycle getting interrupted several times last night, I guess. Um, but I'm, I'm groggy as if I took, it's like as if I took NyQuil and I didn't take anything last night at all. So it's weird. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. Um, now Dwayne's got me thinking about that transcript. Let me go back to the transcript. Dadgummit. I was about to end the show, but now I got to go back to this transcript because Dwayne's got me thinking. Um, Trump has publicly complained about CrowdStrike's role in DNC investigation. Take a look, Ukraine. How come the FBI didn't take the server from the DNC? Just think about it, Sean. We already talked about that earlier. Um, Fox News reported in its account of the call that the president was referencing the decision by the DNC to give its hacked server to CrowdStrike instead of the FBI. That is not uncommon in such investigations, and the FBI was able to obtain forensic data it needed. With regards to our investigation, DNC server. CrowdStrike has been the subject of controversy in Ukraine as well. In December 2016, the company reported that the Russian military unit that had hacked the DNC also had penetrated a widely used Ukrainian military app. Ukrainian Defense Ministry disputed the report's claims that as much as 80% of Ukraine's howitzer force may have been destroyed because of the hack. CrowdStrike subsequently acknowledged that its estimates were high and revised the report. CrowdStrike's work on the DNC hack also apparently helped the FBI link Russia to a hack of Ukrainian elections in 2014. In its investigation of the DNC hack, CrowdStrike identified hacker teams from two rival Russian spy agencies that have penetrated the DNC servers, Fancy Bear, Cozy Bear. It was Fancy Bear that appeared to have stolen the emails and passed them to WikiLeaks. CrowdStrike, founded in 2011, is led by co-founder Dmitry Alperovich, a Russian-born cyber and national security expert whose blend of technical and foreign expertise. And remember, um, remember in our uh, coverage of Danchenko, Olga Galkina and Dolan and their friendship and him going to Cyprus and meeting with them. And she's working at that company. I can't remember the name of, and, um, they do hacking and what is it? What is that? Servers.com. Remember it was like, they ran servers. The company she worked for was servers.com. I need the full transcript. Oh, I got to go get my kids soon. Can't even spell. Oh, wait a minute. That was it right there. There it is. We've, we've read, we've gone over this before. Um, okay. Let me do server. Okay. 
in this transcript, it's mentioned one time, the server. Okay. President Trump, I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. I would like you to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say crowd strike. I guess you have one of your wealthy people, probably meaning Kolomoisky. The server, they say Ukraine has it. There are a lot of things that went on the whole situation. I think you're surrounding yourself with some of the same people. I would like to have the attorney general call you or your people, and I would like you to get to the bottom of it. As you saw yesterday, that whole nonsense ended with a very poor performance by a man named Robert Mueller, an incompetent performance. But they say a lot of it started with Ukraine. Whatever you can do, it's, also, it's very important that you do it, if that's possible. Zelensky. Yes, it is very important for me and everything that you just mentioned earlier. For me as president, it is very important and we are open for any future cooperation. We are ready to open a new page on cooperation and relations between the United States and Ukraine. For that purpose, I just recalled our ambassador from the United States and he will be replaced by a very competent and very experienced ambassador who will work hard on making sure that our two nations are getting closer. I would also like and to hope to see him having your trust and your confidence and have personal relations with you so we can cooperate even more so. I will personally tell you that one of my assistants spoke with Mr. Giuliani just recently, and we are hoping very much that Mr. Giuliani will be able to travel to Ukraine, and we will meet once he comes to Ukraine. I just wanted to assure you once again that you have nobody but friends around us. All right, and so they impeach him over this phone call. Now, I see Wildboar said Trump knew. That's right, he knew, and... I think one of the reasons he knew is because of this man. Because this man worked for Trump and had for years. So Felix Sater knows that that case is reopened and those two hacking groups that were in Cyprus and Ukraine have been sent back in, reactivated. Two weeks later, DNC hack story breaks. Felix Sater knows what's going on. He informs Trump, who probably already knew, but now he definitely knows. And so Trump talks to Zelensky and he's like, the server. I re the, my reading of it is he's not talking about the literal physical DNC server that was previously in DC. I think he's talking about the server that was used to hack because it's going to lead back to Olga Galkina, and it's going to lead back to Chuck Dolan, and it's going to lead back to Joffe and the Georgia Tech researchers. I think it's the same. It's, it's almost the exact same as the Alpha Bank Trump Tower story. But much bigger, because much bigger implications. And Hillary Clinton hired them. That's what I think. So, all right, that's got to be my show today because I got to go get my kid and I should probably take a nap, but I think the dogs are going to disagree with that. So thank you all very much for the, um, <clears throat> thank you all very much for the wild boar. You need to watch the rest of the show to understand about that <laughs> you were late all right thank you all very much for the rants and for all the support um remember we got new referral links in the uh 
for a bootleg and for Benson's Honey. So if you're interested in getting either of those products, um, you don't need to use a coupon code to do it. Just hit the referral link either in my link tree or in the description of the program. And um, you'll, uh, that's, how, that's how you do it now. Uh, so much easier. So appreciate those companies partnering with me very much. And I appreciate all you guys making this show possible. I couldn't, I couldn't do this without y'all. And, um, I enjoy doing it. And so I, I feel blessed by y'all. And I hope that, uh, this information was worthwhile this morning. If admittedly a bit half baked, um, I do hope it was worthwhile. So y'all have a great weekend. There's no Formula One this weekend, so I don't know what I'm going to do as far as race cars. I'll probably my wife's probably going to make me do some yard work instead of watching race cars. So <laughs> wish me luck with that, and I'll be back on Sunday night for Defected. And uh, yeah, God bless each and every one of you. Stay positive. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. I'll see y'all Sunday night. <laughs>